Sex for Salvation, A Hidden Doctrine of Mormonism, next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. On the 8th of 2015, while we were broadcasting live from TV20, I had a guest on my show. Her name was Lynn Wilder, and we did a show presenting many cases of sexual abuse within Mormonism and the subsequent cover-ups. For those who have not seen that show, you can go to the link on the screen, or you can go to our website, whatloveisthis.tv, under all episodes, 2015 shows, and click on show number 8.18. After we did that show, <clears throat> we received an email which goes in part like this. What kind of airhead do you have talking about Mormon child abuse? What's the national abuse percentages in other states or religions? Are people perfect? Does the faith you represent have non-sinners? Why don't you channel your energy on something else worthwhile? You both sound so stupid on this episode. I feel sorry for your hatred of others. <laughs> wow. Wow, that was nice, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, and we shared this <clears throat> back then when we were doing the shows. Yeah. But for those who haven't seen it, and because it is relevant to today's show, we're reviewing the email and our answer, and then we're going to present some additional information about sexual abuse in Mormonism and the roots of Mormonism's sexual attitudes. The email was answered by Scott, who is part of our ministry, and part of his answer goes like this. He did such a good job. Oh, it's this, beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for your note, but I believe you're completely missing the point. The issue is not that there is no child abuse outside of Utah. The point is there is ample empirical reasons to believe that the religious system that is predominant in Utah is conducive to child sex abuse and more to the point, abuse cover-up. At no point did we insinuate that this doesn't occur elsewhere. You'll find the same dynamic in any highly regimented, controlling, and patriarchal religious system, not just Mormonism. However, the fact that we have such a textbook case of this in Utah makes the statistics all the more meaningful and relevant. Are you saying then that channeling energy to combat child abuse is not worthwhile? Are you saying that sexual abuse of children is not a problem worth addressing? Are you saying it's more important to protect the reputation of priesthood holding abusers than to protect their innocent victims? Believe me, what we do is not done out of hatred, and I challenge you to go back and find any instance of a hateful statement in this episode. Outrage at evil? Sure. But any individual with a shred of moral decency should feel this. But hatred? No. Besides, do you honestly not see the hypocrisy of your statement? I feel sorry for your hatred of others, which is immediately preceded by, you both sound so stupid. <laughs> of course, we, yeah, we've received that, that kind of, a, of email before where they do that. But yeah. it, it's a very, like you say, a very appropriate answer yeah. to, to such a negative email. And we are revisiting this topic because we do want our viewers to realize that sexual and physical abuses and cover-ups has been part of Mormonism and happens behind the closed doors of the polygamy groups as well. Abuses in polygamy are rarely, if ever, reported or documented. 
We're using information from a PDF file that details abuses that the LDS Church reportedly attempted to cover up during the past 50 plus years. And the title page of this file is Instances of Child Sexual Abuse Allegedly Perpetrated by Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, A History, 1959 through 2017. Now, this file can be found on the internet. Uh, it's a long link and yeah. we can put that on the screen, but you can also email us at email at whatloveisthis.tv and I will send you this file by return email. Well, page two of this report states, and this is very important, it says, we cannot change that which we fail to confront. And that is so true. Yeah, it is true, absolutely. It, if re, and it reports in this in this PDF file some overall statistics about child abuse, for instance. Yeah, pretty alarming. <coughs> child abuse dramatically increases the risk of seven out of ten of the leading causes of death, decreases life expectancy by twenty years, and this damage is passed genetically, generation after generation. It also lists several health effects of, of sexual abuse, which include both male and female increased risks of suicide and psychological problems yeah. and drug and alcohol abuse, promiscuity, exploitation, and several other detrimental health issues of victims of child sexual abuse. It also gives information about the predators. Yeah, child predators on average will abuse 175 children in their lifetime. Some have admitted to over a thousand children. A child predator will abuse 50 to 75 children before he's caught, but only 3% of predators are apprehended. According to experts, 86% of child sexual abuse is never reported, and it is a worldwide epidemic with over four, or 40 million survivors. Isn't that awful? Terrible. Now, predators obviously don't care about their victims. These statistics are not geared to helping them see the hideousness of their crimes, thus stimulating a guilty conscience, which in turn might cause them to stop. This is not what will stop them if they're ever stopped at all. On page four of the report, it states their hope in publishing this information. Yeah, the hope is that this research and others forthcoming will educate members so that they will encourage their organizations to report abusers immediately rather than stand behind priest-penitent privilege or encourage the abuser to self-report, which and that, isn't going to happen. <laughs> and that's not going to happen. Right. And we also encourage anyone and everyone who is uh, especially in a polygamous family, <clears throat> to report to an outside authority any sexual abuse that you know of, somebody else, or that is, is happened or is happening to you. Now, this report includes research, exact quotes from public documents, including legal complaints, court orders and court rulings, Boy Scout files, and news articles. So we're going to begin with the very first abuse that's recorded in this report that they show uh, came from Oklahoma, June of 1959, which is over, which is about 60, almost yeah, 60, 60 years, years ago. ago. Bishops began interviewing children when they are young. Mormon children <laughs> are supposed to be interviewed by the bishop when they are eight years old to see if they are ready for baptism. When a boy reaches the age of 12, he's interviewed by a bishop to see if he's worthy to receive the Aaronic priesthood. This interview is conducted behind closed doors. 
In June 23, 1959, in Oklahoma, LDS Bishop Samuel, Samuel H. Gardner, also known as Mercer, allegedly abused a child. The child stated, when I was 15 years old, I was being sexually abused by my bishop. Unfortunately, too many people who hold religious authority are also predators. Private interviews like this one that was described mm -hmm. that's done by LDS priesthood holders and bishops uh, can also be an opportunity uh, for predators to molest young men who believe that the bishop has special authority from God. Sexual advances um, will, uh, for abuse will confuse them and they find it difficult to accuse the bishop of doing wrong. True. And so they don't tell. And of course, this is also true in, or even magnified in truth, in polygamy groups. We have a quote of one of the cases. Yeah, Jack McAllister, who was formerly bishop in the Mormon church, felt it was very improper for one individual to be alone with a young man and ask all kinds of questions related to sexual matters. Well, McAllister, when he made this report, also himself had been a victim in such an interview. Yeah, this is pretty honest. After some conversation about temporal matters, the bishop proceeded to discuss sexual matters with him and eventually molested him. This abuse caused severe trauma to Jack, and he wrote, I couldn't figure out what was going on. He was the bishop. I was the obedient but unworthy servant. He was God's chosen leader on earth. Whatever he did was directly authorized by God. My thoughts raced around. Jack McAllister, dis McAllister decided to keep the matter secret. Even though he eventually became a bishop, his suffering did not end. To add to his own pain, he learned that his own son was also victimized by another Mormon bishop. In a letter to the president of the Mormon church, Jack and his wife expressed their dismay that things were being swept under the rug. And that's the problem, that, yeah. it, it, that uh, in all of this, that it was swept under the rug, or at least attempted to. In 1963, in Rexburg, Idaho, the report shows that over 126 women and children, some as young as 13 years old, came forward to the Rape Crisis Center and told of an abuse by an LDS member. The document states that numerous women told their bishops of this man's abuse through the years, but church officials ignored their pleas for help, or they discouraged the victims from pursuing charges against the abuser. January 3rd of 1965 in Idaho, we read from the report. LDS Laren Arnold allegedly abuses 13-year-old Arnold's ecclesiastical leader had first-hand knowledge of a child's sexual molestations of one or more scouts. No charges were filed as the mother was talked out of it at the time by church leaders. And there were several complaints about this man. He was accused of molesting scouts in the 1960s and in the 70s mm -hmm. and in the 80s. He was convicted of lewd conduct with a minor. There was evidence that the church was aware of it. And the details are in this document. If you want to get it and read it, it's available to anyone who's interested in checking it out. Now we go forward to January in 1966 in Utah. Yeah, another one, LDS George Tilson from 1966 to 2002, the Corporation of the President received several complaints that Tilson was sexually abusing children within his ward. However, the Corporation of the President not only failed to do anything in response to these complaints, it actively concealed Tilson's sexual abuse from its members and secular authorities. Moreover, the Corporation of the President allowed Tilson to continue to hold the positions of high priest and scout leader. So wow. here we are, the highest authority, <laughs> just not doing anything about 
what's going on, and they knew about it. The, this abuser held the high priest position yeah. in the stake, and he was a scout leader. For decades, the church had received complaints, yet they didn't do anything to stop him or to discipline him. June 1977 in Oregon, we read another case. An LDS James Francis Hogan, two teenage boys in Oregon, sued the corporation of the president in 1989 for $3 million on charges of negligence. They charged that the church hired James Francis Hogan as a janitor, knowing that he had been observed hugging and kissing young boys between 1977 and 1985, a span of 12 years. The amount of the settlement is unknown. October in 1983 in Texas, a 60-year-old retired Army officer is known to have molested at least five boys from the Magnolia LDS Church. He and the LDS were sued. He pleaded guilty in 1994 to two counts of indecency with a child and sentenced to prison. The church was found liable in a $4 million verdict for failing to protect an eight-year-old boy. Who paid the $4 million? <laughs> of course, it would come from yeah, the tithers. Or... Do you really want your tithe money to be going to something like this? We have another quote of another abuse. The church will go to a great lengths to protect its image and reputation, says Clay Dugas, a lawyer in Orange, who has sued the church on behalf of numerous child abuse victims and their families in Texas and Mississippi. So this man knew, this attorney of course yeah. was well aware of many of these abuses that were going on and he saw the church in action doing everything they could to protect it or sweep it under, under the, the rug. rug. Um, I'd like to mention at this point, um, years ago when the first priest, when it came out that the Catholic priests were abusing people, right. uh, there were watchdog groups at that point that said, we're going to go after every religion and pick out the sexual abuse mm. uh, cover-ups that they're doing. And they have. Yeah. And, and the LDS Church was part of the of that. And as we can see, there's plenty. This report contains 316 pages all, all the pages are just nothing but the abuses that we're reading here. I just picked out a few of them, uh, and they're all connected with the LDS church system. Wow. Every one of them are. Yeah. In January of 2008, in North Carolina, we read of another one. An unnamed perpetrator who reported himself in 2008 or 2009 to his bishop, who then informed others within the Raleigh stake about the pedophile's activities. Upon information for a period of years before the plaintiff, the mother of the victim, discovered that the pedophile had battered her children, the defendants were aware that the pedophile had sexually battered one or more other children within the Raleigh stake. So it just, you know, it's just ongoing. It links up to others and links to others. And like your statistics show, they don't quit. They just keep going mm -hmm. unless they mm -hmm. somehow can be stopped, but they don't do it on their own, that's for sure. That's exactly right. Yeah. To self-report isn't going to happen. August of 2009 in California, a woman testified she had been a Mormon since birth and she was taught the LDS was the only true church and she would be punished for eternity if she didn't obey their authority. She was taught that priesthood members were chosen by God and spoke for God. The day she met her priesthood attacker is the day he raped her. He told her not to tell anyone she was afraid of eternal punishment, so 
she obeyed. We find page after page of, of, of documented information and horror stories of abuse and threats of silence, bishops and priesthood holders and other Mormon church authorities warning the victims not to tell anyone. Again, yes, these things happen in other religions, and it's wrong wherever it takes place. But why hide it? A church that says they follow Jesus? Why, yeah, why would they it. react like this? Yeah. I've heard people question, ask the question, why is there so much sexual focus in Mormonism? Well, section 132 yeah. is a good starting point for the answer. Section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants is full of sexual connotations, teaching that marrying ten virgins is a blessing, even a command by God. And Jesus said, a good or a bad root cannot produce good fruit. <laughs> Every week we talk about polygamy being a bad fruit of Mormonism, and it all started with Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith. who did these things as well. That's he, true. He Very practiced much so. pedophile actions. Sexual abuse, of course, is bad fruit of a bad doctrine of Mormonism. And so we want to finish the last half of, of today's show by sharing comments that are made by Mormon church fathers that illustrate their predisposition to that it has towards sexual activity. Comments that we have that actually have no valid place in a genuine religious context or organization, proving that bad root <laughs> produces bad fruit. Yeah. The late great great granddaughter of John D. Lee, her name was Thelma Gear, called Granny Gear, was born and raised a fourth generation Mormon. Late in her life, she wrote an article entitled Mormonism's salvation by grace or by eternal marriage and sex. What a title. <laughs> mm, good title. She asserts that the LDS Church's preoccupation with sex identifies it as closer to a fertility religion than Christian. She offers several quotes from church leaders to verify her statement. We'll begin with the first one. To say that the LDS Church is preoccupied with sex may seem ludicrous, but the awful truth is that it is. I, a fourth-generation Latter-day Saint, the great-granddaughter of LDS polygamist pioneer John D. Lee, who, by the way, had 19 wives and 64 children, was never permitted to know or experience all of Mormonism. But I did understand the sexual connections of Mormon theology, its multiple marriages for eternity, earthly and eternal procreation and childbirth, and other doctrines contrived to glory glorify and exalt LDS men to godhood. Now, Granny Gear loved so her LDS friends and family. She pleaded with them to study its foundation, its history, and hidden doctrines. She asked a question, would we also ask our viewers, do salvation and righteousness really come through sex, as Joseph Smith promised in Doctrine and Covenants 132, verses 32 and 37? The answer is yes. In her paper, she asked some other valid questions. The first one goes like this. Yeah, did God really promise that if a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant, then shall it be written in the Lamb's book of life, that there shall be a continuation of seeds forever and ever, then they shall be God's. That's well, in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 132. Exactly, and the continuation of seeds forever and ever is eternal sex. <laughs> 
The next quote. Did God really command that LDS men should have ten virgins to multiply and replenish the earth for their exaltation so that the Father may be glorified? And that's verse 63 <laughs> what, in what, 132. What a reason for doing it. <laughs> did God say that any wife who did not accept polygamy would be destroyed? If any man have a wife, she shall believe and administer unto him, or she shall be destroyed. And we've talked about this before. Verse That's 64. all we heard growing yeah. up. You betcha that, be destroyed. that section 134 focuses on marriage, sex, virgins, polygamy, adultery, procreation, and godhood. It'd be very easy for a non-Mormon to read section 132 and come away seeing it as a fertility religion. I never thought about it really. <laughs> yeah, look at it from the eyes of a non-believer and that's what you see. But she points out some even stronger proof that Mormonism's doctrine of salvation revolves around sex. And the next quote. Next one. The person of our Father in heaven was begotten on a previous heavenly world by his Father, and again he was begotten by a still more ancient Father, and so on from generation to generation. And we wonder how the first Father was begotten. The, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. a good question. Yeah. You know, being one God who is eternal is easier to answer than this is. But you can see that the, the begottens and the begets and the generation and all that goes back, that they're their doctrine of marriage oh, and eternal marriage and polygamy all comes from sex. Definitely believed sex was going to be. You didn't talk about it in terms of we're going to have sex, but you always said we're going to have multiple wives, uh, and that would become a god and would populate yeah. our own but spirits. Why do you have multiple wives? But you have to have sex to do that. So right. It's right. all about sex. It's yeah. all about sex. Yeah. Well, another question she asks and answers from a quote is, "What makes God God?" Yeah, and this is from uh, Melvin Ballard, I guess, Three Degrees of Glory. It says, those who are denied endless increase, spirit children, cannot be what God is because that, in connection with other things, makes him God. <laughs> Eternal sex makes him God. Whoa. Well, uh, George Q. Cannon said that sex is the power of God, and I quote, the power of propagation is the power of God. It is a power by which God presides over the universe and fills the universe with power. That, now, what is the power of propagation? You mean having children? Having children. Yeah. And, and having again, sex. that's the same thing. It's just a sexual connotation over and over and over again. Like I said before we started these quotes, these kinds of comments have nothing, have no valid place in any genuine religious context or in religious sermons. Absolutely not, certainly for not Christian sermons. Well, the next one, uh, God sired millions of spirit children. Of course, that keeps him busy. Yeah, according to Orson Pratt from the Seer, page 38, 105,000 million was the approximate number of the sons and daughters of God in heaven. <laughs> That's busy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I always thought in answer to that, that I figured there was some kind of a test tube process or some kind of, I knew that sperm had lots of millions of whatevers, and I just figured that was the way it was going to run. Except that I believe it was Orson Pratt that said that the gestation period uh, the is the same there as it yeah. is here. Oh, so boy. that, and, and the woman that won't would, work. And women would carry the babies. Uh -huh. I just figured uh -huh. there was some 
Somebody yeah. had figured something out, God being who he was, yeah. that he could create millions of spirit children without too much. In the, uh, in the without laboratory. Without having <laughs> sex every nine, uh, you know, every nine months. Well, I did a show a long time ago, and I don't remember which show it was as far as giving the, the link for it, but <laughs> where, it, where I quoted Orson Pratt and all through the show, oh. how many times he'd have to have sex, how often, with how many wives to have this many million Talk about eternity. Children. <laughs> yeah, talk yeah. about eternity. And that's exactly what Mormon, the foundation of Mormonism is. Uh, according to Orson Pratt, God sexually begat Jesus in the pre-existence. We quote from the seer, he said, God the Father, before the world began, begat his, his Jesus' spirit. His spirit required a heavenly mother, making it clear that yeah. it involved divine sex. The next one is the devil. Yeah, from Bruce R. McConkie, it said, God begat the devil through sexual relations. The devil is a spirit son of God who was born in the morning of pre-existence. And that's Doctrine and Covenant section 76, yeah. 25 through 26. And of course, what the morning of the pre-existence is is beyond me, unless it means the beginning of when it started. But how can it start if it's eternal backwards? But anyway, and then, and this is something I never knew until I started doing this, is that Heber C. Kimball said, God sired the Holy Ghost. It says, He, the Holy Ghost, is one of the sons of our Father and yeah. our God. Well, that is blasphemy <laughs> from the get-go on that one because the Holy Ghost is God. The next one from, yeah, from Orson, Orson Pratt. Another Orson Pratt. In order to become the everlasting father, it is necessary that he should have more, one or more wives by whom he could multiply his seed, not for any limited period of time, but forever and ever. Okay. Perpetual pregnancy. And there we go. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Eternal sex. The, the, the salvation and the righteousness is all hinged on this. J.F. Smith said... What is eternal life? It is to have a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. That's his definition of eternal life. Are we proving our point? You know, there are dozens of quotes just like these from Mormon church fathers proving that the, what, what the real nature of Mormonism is. And you'll not find any of these teachings in the Bible. But based on sex and polygamy and plural wives and hundreds of children and yeah. sired by gods in embryo, it's Mormonism and none of it's true. Now, I have this on PDF as well. If anybody wants to email us, email at whatloveisthis.tv. I'll be happy to send you her entire paper written on this <laughs> with all of the quotes that she has. And there's many more than we've had time to talk about. Um, and just email it and we uh, email and ask for it. And uh, the paper written by Granny Gear and we'll send it to you. But we do suggest that Mormons and polygamists really honest your, ask yourselves, why? Would you entrust your eternal salvation to this kind of foolishness? Yeah. Especially when all we need is Jesus. That's true. I won't go into details, but I have had, as a bishop and also as a bishopric member, we had different courts. And there were a couple of situations where grandfathers had abused grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And the parents in between talked to every, the leaders and everybody else out of mm. pressing charges mm -hmm. um, and said it was just they, a... They didn't want it to be nominated because public. the image is so yeah. important rather yeah. than the health of so the So I'm children. aware of it on a personal basis. Mm -hmm. so it's yeah. too bad. Well, it is. And of course, in polygamy groups, it's never, yeah. it never made public. 
Okay, thanks, Earl. You betcha. <laughs> you know, the hidden doctrine, uh, Mormon doctrine, is that eternal life is synonymous with eternal security. Polygamous doctrine is the same, it just isn't as hidden. And J.F. Smith defined eternal life as producing children forever and ever. This is precisely the heresy that we're talking about. Jesus Christ said that anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child, little child will never enter it. And children don't get married and live polygamy. Mormonism says Jesus is the Savior, and then they remove the power of salvation from Jesus and place it on religious works and marriage. That puts Mormonism outside of the possibility of being a true church or Christian. Polygamy, eternal marriage, marriage required for celestial glory, having children throughout eternity are all replacements of the only essential, Jesus Christ. Thank you. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.